Welcome back, everyone, to R2Cast number 157. Numbers are yeah, kind of flying up at the minute. They probably feel like they're flying up more for me than they do for you, because over the next few weeks, I plan on filming about 19, I think. Um, so kind of want to have a wee bit of a quiet Christmas. <laughs> Just speaking to today's guest off camera there and saying, until the 16th of November, um, I don't think I'd really stopped for about half an hour since the 3rd of August. So, uh, yeah, it's all been quite an intense few months. Quite nice to just slow down for a wee bit. Um, but there's still podcasting to do. And the last episode we had <clears throat> was with Natalie Hepburn. Natalie is one of this year's Nuffield cohort. Um, I think, apart from the All In series, from now, um, everyone's going to be Nuffield until we do the cohort. I think, unless there's any technical issues or anything like that. Um, so it'll take us well into <clears throat> well into January. Um, and if you want to hear about myself as well, I think, well, I say if you, I think you guys want to, so we'll do one with myself as well, what my plan is. Uh, the next episode, oh, sorry, with Natalie, she speaks about sort of diversification and how to diversify your farm business into creating a product. So not your sort of conventional diversification, always looking at tourism and that sort of thing. This is sort of creating a product and how to get those onto the shelves like Natalie's done herself. Um, quite an inspiring woman uh, personal on a personal level and uh, very impressive what she's done business-wise as well. The next <clears throat> episode after that, Number 158, I believe, is the way numbers work, uh, is Liz Haynes, who is also part of said cohort. And Liz, I believe it was last year or the year before, was diagnosed, uh, unbeknownst to her until she was diagnosed, with ADHD. And uh, she sort of started to make a bit of sense. And her uh, Nuffield scholarship is on neurodiversity in farming. So a topic that, especially in lecturing, we sort of see um, a lot of neurodiversity. And I have commonly said, and will continue to say, that I think neurodiversity is the best word have been created in recent years because we hear of mental disability and it just makes look, folk look worse when that's really not the case. Um, they have a, an intense ability in some cases to focus on different things better. There's so many different ways that it is diversity and not disability. So I think whoever came up with that term very much has made a fantastic leap for that demographic. Um, so an interesting one with Liz uh, there as well. And today is, <clears throat> I'm not going to say I've been aware of today's guest for years, but I'm aware of today's guest story for years, uh, which I think would be a fair thing to say, and that doesn't take away from today's guest at all. But today's guest is Mr. Dan Jones. Dan, would you like to say hello? Hi, guys. Hi. How's it going? Not bad, mate. Not bad. You looking forward to this? Yeah, I'm actually. Yeah, I don't. Well, just before we get started with another episode of the R2 cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, Howden Rural formerly known as A-Plan Rural. Howden are heavily involved in the social media scene in the ag space with over 100,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories, as well as posting to their rural community blog with further articles about these people in the sector. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself. So thank you to Howden Rural for that. <laughs> I love talking to people, meeting new people. So yeah, it's all good. Can't ask for much better than last week, then, can you? <laughs> just... Well, do you know, by the end, I was quite glad to see my sheep dogs and uh, just chill out with some sheep at the end. To be honest, but it was uh, it was an amazing few days. It was pretty intense, as you you know. Uh, but it was good. It was all good. It was good, and much like yourself, I am a talker. I love speaking to people. I don't think many people have seen me in the position where I just want to sort of zone out, but. By God, it was one on Friday because it was speaking, <laughs> speaking, speaking, yeah. um, which was good. It really was good. And to be honest, it 
you, Dan, we maybe had a short chat at one point for 10 minutes, but just because you were meeting so many folk, I don't actually think I really spoke to anyone. You know? <laughs> That's the thing. Um, you met so many people and you were chatting so quickly. It was difficult to take it in, wasn't it? And then, you know, I was chatting to other guys saying, oh, who, who I've just, who, and they was asking, oh, who are you talking to now? And I was like, well, I think his name was David, but I'm not sure what he did. <laughs> it was something in agriculture. So, but, but it was just so, you know, it's just so much to take in, but it was brilliant. Everybody was brilliant in their own way and unique in their own way, I think. I think the other self and then the year that are doing the presenting, it's going to be intense yeah. for the rest of folk. It's probably just quite a, quite a social <laughs> gathering. I think, uh, I think so, you know. There were lots of people enjoying themselves, wasn't there? For yeah. me, I was trying to make the most of the of every opportunity while I was there. So it was quite intense. I was and I was forcing myself not to relax too much. So you know, I was really on it with everybody, really. So uh so yeah, I'm looking forward to hopefully going next year. Then we won't be the, you know, the the first year or we won't be the presenting year. So I'll be able to relax a bit more, I think. Yeah, we won't matter at all next year. We're quite nice. No, no, we're we'll the just... only chance. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, be good, I think. <laughs> you, you make a really good point. I mean, I think I relaxed for half an hour because, yeah. well, basically what Dan and I are talking about is the Nuffield Conference, which actually at the point of release is probably three weeks ago now. And um, the first day <clears throat> as the new cohort of scholars, we um, we basically sat down and just had information attacked at us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was a three-hour session, which was video editing. Now, I'm not being cocky at all, but it's just something I do. And we had a three-hour session, and I think I'd probably finished it by about minute four. Um, so I took a chance to just sit and speak to Yaz a bit and go for a walk. And um, I got the most pounding headache because I'd actually stopped for a second because it was just so dense. Uh, so, yeah, like you say, I didn't get a chance to relax, but I accidentally took it at that point. And, yeah, um, taking it in was quite fun. So next year should actually be quite good. It's in Belfast next year, isn't it? Sorry. I think it's Belfast, yeah. But talking about that video session, for us that aren't used to it, that was, yeah. you know, intense. It was all new in its technology. And I looked around there about two and a half hours into the session. <laughs> I won't say which which scholar it was. And he just said, I'm done. I can't take any more of this. <laughs> I don't care about video editing. I just cannot take any more. He said to me, and I was laughing. Oh, but there we are. Yeah, cool. It was oh, amazing. It's an amazing skill to learn, though. And going forward, it's going to be really useful in sharing our stories, I think, videoing. Um, um, so it was really cool. I completely agree, and don't think I'm doing this to in any way take away your um, motivation to learn it. It is not a quick process. <laughs> Trust me, it's not. A, I'm probably three years in, and I'm only really just getting it. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, we're absolutely capable of of making a a, a video, and we all will be um, as to what is required for that. Uh, but. It is, it is a, a very monotonous skill to learn, I'll be honest. There's no no sugarcoating it. Unless you just go out every day and you're having a bit of fun on the farm, you think, oh, let's let's put some together. That's the only way to learn is just do it, do it, do it, do it. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm going to have to do that just if, you know, I won't I won't have to share them. I just need to do it and learn just as I go, really. That's the best That's way it. for me. Here, you never know. You might have a TikTok blow up, Dan. No, <laughs> I doubt it, but we never know. I doubt it. We'll come back to the next conference. We'll be speaking <laughs> and the, the the social media influencer. Um, yeah, no, here, Dan, give give a wee bit of background to the viewers. Um, I said at the start that you know 
I wasn't actually aware of yourself yourself personally. Yeah. Don't take offence to that. That's just the truth. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that I was sort of aware of your story. And um, I'm sure once you give a wee bit of background, more people will be like, oh, I see. Yeah, well, um, I grew up on a little small family farm on the island of Anglesey. Um, I hated school. Um <laughs> Uh, and then, you know, I disappointed my parents by not wanting to go to the sixth form. Um, so I, I went, but I did have a plan. I said to them, I wanted to go to agricultural college. They weren't a big fan of me wanting to be a farmer because we didn't have a massive farm at home. Um, but it was obvious from a young age, that's what I wanted to do. And I wanted to work with sheep in the outdoors. And I knew that. Um, and after, you know, I went on to agricultural university, I worked as a shepherd at the University of Wales in Aberystwyth for a bit. And then what I I also travelled the world. I was a contract shearer when I was younger. Um, but ultimately, what I wanted to do was run my own farm. Uh, so when the opportunity came up on Anglesey to take my own tenancy, um, I took it. And I really built that business up um, as a tenant for private landlord and a local authority as well. So... And it was quite a, a big holding for one person. So I had to work quite hard in those early years. Um, but I'd say because of rent prices and they were increasing every every year, really, where I was, because I was a lot of my tenancies, I had a few were annual tenancies. Um, I was forced into becoming a more intensive farmer, I'd say. And it's not that I don't disagree with it at all. I, I there is a need for intensive farming. We need to produce food. You know, just looking at me, you know, obviously I, I enjoy my food, so we need to produce lots of food. But it wasn't the way I really wanted to farm. But um, I was quite happy being a sheep farm Anglesey. By this point, I was married. I had a son. And then um, one day my phone started making funny noises and there were social media notifications. I think I mentioned this to you. And uh, I never usually got notifications on my phone. You know, I was lucky to get two notifications on my birthday. But that evening, uh, when I got home and I sat down, I, I realized I had about 70 notifications on Facebook. And my wife said to me, oh, you must have been hacked. You know that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, but when I started looking at it, um, people had been tagging me in a National Trust farm that was coming available for a, a tenancy came available. And I was getting messages from friends, Dan, you need to try for this farm. And I was thinking, oh, that's a bit weird. I've, you know, I'm happy here. I'm, I'm, you know, relatively successful as sheep farmers can be. Uh, but when I looked into it, the National Trust had bought a farm, which was about an hour away from where I was uh, farming. Um, and they were going to, the, the headline was, they were going to let it for a pound a year for a 10-year tenancy. Um, and then I looked into it and um, I thought, oh, yeah, that, that looks okay for about a year. Um, it was a 900-acre a farm, um, a massive limestone headland that sticks out into the sea. Um, it's an SSSI. It's an SAC, uh, Special Area of Conservation, IPA, Imports and Plant Area. It was a nature reserve. Um, and on top of this, it was 900 acres of open access land. Uh, so it wasn't something to be taken lightly. So um, I went to see the farm, uh, 
I took my wife with me and then we thought, you know, this is a huge opportunity. And it was an opportunity for me to be a sheep farmer and work in the outdoors. And more importantly, to give back something to nature. They were looking for a farmer that was willing to farm in a nature first way. And uh, it ticked all my boxes really. So I tried for it and then I was offered the interview and here I am today really. Well, uh, we'll get into that interview process quite in a bit. Yeah. Um, it's I. It's quite a. I, I remember it coming up. How long ago was that? That uh, it was twenty sixteen, two thousand sixteen. Yeah. So I'm just I've been here for seven years now. So yeah, yeah. And, and it was uh, it was a huge. Some people say it was a huge publicity stunt for the National <laughs> Trust, and it uh, it was a good news story as well at the time, which was. You know, it was around Brexit time as well, and there was all sorts of negative press around. And um, you know, it was a huge story, and you know, the the, me the media and the papers they all made the massive deal of it. Really, I would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information about our primary sponsors, Howden Rural, the new name for A Plan Rural. Howden Rural provide bespoke insurance cover for farms and estates. This could be for anything from tractors and machinery to a new exciting diversification venture. Be sure to check out Howden Rural today. And uh, they actually got over four and a half thousand people interested in the tenancy. So uh, a lot of people fancied it. To be the one of 4,000 is quite impressive. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but I think... Yeah, I know what you're going to say. Because, yeah. because it was in the press so much, I think, oh... <laughs> You know, they were getting people from all over the world interested. And, uh, you know, as somebody from the National Trust said, yeah, 90% of the people that tried were dreamers, really. They weren't actual... Luckily for me, they were looking for a sheep farm and a shepherd. And that's what, uh, well, that's what I enjoyed and specialised in. Before we before we get to the current tenancy, Dan, um, yep. your your sort of first... first um, First position you mentioned did some sort of year-on-year -year rents. Yeah, how did that work? It must be quite hard working to a year because you can't build. Yeah, you, that, that yeah. yeah, yeah. That's it's very very difficult. It's very difficult to get into into farming and uh, running a a sheep enterprise. It's not the most lu lucrative anyway, so it is a big challenge and it's very hard work. Um, it can become demoralizing after a bit because you can't plan. Um, you just have to <laughs> you have to just roll with it, I think, and you have to be a certain type of person. Um, but it did work for me. I, I I built up a decent business, but it was very it was very hard work, and you know, I had to sacrifice a lot. But more importantly than that, my wife and child had to sacrifice a lot in those early years as well. But it's 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 part of the journey, isn't it? And it, it it's it's that that year thing I've always thought kudos to people that do that because it's just it must be mentally draining. You're working towards next I don't know when that does it start in April? Is that how it works? Is it a calendar year? How uh, well it that that was another challenge. There was uh, some that started in April, some in November, it was all sorts really. And it was just but the one thing I realized was that there were lots of young people trying to do it you know there was lots of people fighting over this land that i was trying for and i don't think i don't think we've got not in my area anyway we haven't got a problem with 
people wanting to become farmers, but the opportunity isn't there for them. And that's where I think the system breaks down. You know, there was no support for me, really. They were offering support, but it was things like we can fund, you know, 50% of a tractor to begin with. Well, you know. I can't fund 50%. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and the, I remember talking to some guy, some, I don't know, from the government. He said, oh, we'll, we'll put, we can give you 50% on new entrants on a, on a tractor, he said. You could you could buy uh, you know you could buy a fifty thousand pound tractor and we'd give you twenty five thousand pound. I was like, well, I haven't got twenty five thousand pounds. You know, I've just I've just bought myself a spade last week and I thought <laughs> I could think twice before buying that. So that's we uh, skint now, you know. <laughs> yeah, so it was tough in the early years, but um, it does make people strong and resilient people. I think. I mean, I've interviewed now. Well, naturally, at least 157 people. And um, I would say after planning, the biggest challenge is tenancies and just finding land, whether that's ownership, rental, tenancies, whatever. And Definitely. it's, it's going to cripple the country from a food production perspective and cripple the sector as well. Because if people, my, your, and really even up to 50, 55, can't get into the sector... yeah exactly exactly. and i remember thinking i need to be careful what i say really but at the time i remember when i was farming they were giving people farmers in wales if they were over 65 they could get 50 percent off a atv or an rtv type of buggy mule type of thing and i was thinking do you know what if you're farming and you're if you've been farming all your life and you're over 65 and you can't afford to buy yourself a new ATV, then you're in the wrong game, really. Or you just need to retire and give the young guys a give the young guys a chance. And also, what other what other sectors get incentivized to continue after sixty five? Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's just it's a it's quite an amazing thing that was happening. That it was I thought it was completely wrong, but there's no other. I doubt if there's any other industry that does that. I mean, what's what's our average age? It's like two months short of sixty at the minute, I think. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm still considered young. Um, I must you're not old scholar, so you're you've got a cap on your age. Well, <laughs> I am the old one of the oldest ever Nuffield scholars. Oh, yeah, actually, I oh, I have to be because I was forty five. I shouldn't have said that really. Um, I was forty five the day after the uh, entries you know, before the applications were closing. Really? So if I was born a day earlier, I'd be too old. <laughs> I was literally, but apparently there is somebody that's done it over 45, so I'm not the oldest ever, which is quite nice. Well, I was thinking, I must be one of the youngest in the world at the minute. Because, <laughs> no, genuinely, I'm definitely the youngest in our cohort, I think. Oh. Yeah, I'm younger than Amy. I'm 26. Okay. I'm 26. So... Oh, how okay, okay, yeah, yeah, you might be, yeah. I think Amy's 27. I, th- I mean, Amy could be 24, I don't know. I think, <laughs> I think she's 27. Amy, yeah. if you're listening, I'm so sorry. I think you said that. If that's wrong, I apologize. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. yeah, we had that chat. Oh, God. like you say, all the conversations blend. Maybe that wasn't, yeah, it. yeah, of course. I don't yeah. know, um, but yeah, that's pretty cool. One day, uh, that's that's pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so moving on to the 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 now tenancy you know and, and oh yeah okay got it. um 
it came up. So when you saw that for a pound, was at yeah. first were you like, this isn't, this is just not real. Was that the thought, or was that not the thought? Um, well, yeah, it, you know, the headline, the National Trust, one pound farm or whatever, they say there was different headlines, but it, you thought, oh, there's got to be more to it than that. And there is a lot more to it, obviously, than just, you know, the National yeah. Trust can't give one pound tenancy out for nothing. Um, but the more I looked into it, I thought, do you know what? I can do all the things that I enjoy, far, farm like I want to, and uh, and hopefully get this tenancy, and here I am. And that's a good point. I mean, the ninety odd you said, and to be honest, probably more than ninety percent that were yeah. just, oh, there's a you know, let's try, be mad not to. Yeah. yeah. Um, of the however many that were there, I don't assume it was just let's have a chat. I assume you had to sort of did you just formulate like a business plan as to how it's going to operate. Oh, how- I had to. It was quite a rigorous process. The application. Um, was similar to trying for a normal farm, I say, where you had to, um, uh, yeah, you have to have business plan and cash flows and references and bank references. Um, but then after you know, I applied for it and then I had worked as a shepherd on Snowden for a while, and that looked good, I think, because that was conservation based, uh, shepherding. Um, and then but when they rang me and offered me the interview, uh, this was on a Thursday night, they rang and they said, oh, hello, Mr. Jones, would you like to come in for an interview? Of course, I'd love to. Could you come in next Monday morning? Yes, I can. And they said, okay, we'll, we're going to ring you back, the National Trust said, tomorrow morning. You're going to have to um, do various things during the interview. Okay, that's fine, I said. So I wasn't I wasn't sure what was going on, but they rang back on the Friday morning and said, "We want you there half past eight on Monday morning. We'd like you to um, give a presentation of your vision for the Great Orm for the next ten years. We'd like you to have a a walk and talk with ecologists and conservationists. Um, we'd like you to give you." we'd like you to give a sheepdog demonstration, a working sheepdog demonstration, and then we'd like to give you a formal interview. So, okay, fine. You know, and when people, when you're chatting to people like this, nothing's a problem, is it? You know, you you say that's all fine. And then he said, oh, and through it all, we'd like to put a microphone on you. You don't have to agree, they said, but obviously you're not going to agree at this point. We'd like to microphone on you to record everything that's going on. I said, okay, that's fine. And then in between each of the four sections, we'd like to give you a formal interview on camera, like a news report interview. I said, oh, okay, that's fine. No problem at all. So we'll see you at Happers Day on a Monday morning. I was like, okay, okay, that's fine. Um, so I set to it that weekend. I remember it. I worked my socks off getting a presentation sorted. And I divided my presentation into three things, really. The vision of the Great Orm. One, the farming system. Two, the conservation side. And three, the people side. Because the Great Orm is the most visited natural attraction in Wales, behind Snowdon and the UK, actually. Um, So there's lots of people there, and there's a massive opportunity for engagement. And, And then I had to get my interview skills out. The one I was most worried about was um, the walk and talk with ecologists. 
Um, but it turns out when I got there and I did the walk and talk, it was absolutely fine. I said, I basically said, this is what I know. This is what I don't know. This is the bit where I need as much help as possible. I am very interested in all this. Um, you know, I, I've got a genuine interest in flowers and plants, which, um, I wouldn't say is normal for a sheep farmer from Anglesey. You know, admitting to my friends when I was 30 years old that I liked flowers was quite a big deal. And it's, I liken it to um, coming out of the closet, I think, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I was all, they thought I was always a bit different, but that's, you know, but it was fine. So the walk and talk went okay. Um, and the, uh, what I thought the easiest part of the interview was going to be was the actual sheepdog demonstration. I was expecting five sheep in a field and uh, I'd send the dog left, right, stop. That'll do. Fantastic. Finished. But they said to me, right, you've got your sheepdog demonstration now. Follow this land over. They said, he's going to take you up the side of this mountain. I thought, oh, that's a bit weird. But when we got there, he said, oh, there's 200 sheep and 200 lambs in this pen. Take them to the top of that hill over there. And he pointed to a hill and then to the, the top of another hill. And we want you to get back into the pens. I thought, oh, God. And that all went fine. But obviously, I did have um, a microphone on me. So I was, was going to say that maybe different says, You know, that, and my dog was a bit weird when I was being very polite to him that day. <laughs> uh, when he was doing something wrong. But it, oh, luckily for me, it went all, it went really well, actually. And I managed to do it. Because um, that was one of my strong points, really. And then... Um, I got my presentation done to the board of the National Trust, and uh, and in the interview, because my wife was with me, and she said, my wife said after the interview, she said, it was like I'd worked my whole life for this moment in time, like everything that they asked me, I could answer straight away, and I was enthusiastic because lots of the questions, how can I describe? There weren't questions it was like they wanted me to suggest ways of getting around problems you know we've got this problem on the farm here how are you going to deal with it so it was more like that which they were really interested and they they said afterwards that they really liked that i had good ideas going forward and i was enthusiastic as well and i was a shepherd that liked people there aren't many of them i don't think <laughs> like people and flowers like yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah exactly yeah the it's nice you know i always heard once and it kind of changed, you know, when you come out of uni, you're applying for jobs and the interview, interview, interview. And the way I certainly felt was, well, I'm here to impress. And yeah. someone said, but there's two sides to it. You know, they've got to impress you. And I kind of forgot that at first. And then it's like that. It sounds like they're interested in you. Yeah. That's going to impress you as well. Yeah. Um, how, how did Snowden compare to Great Orm? Right. With Snowden, I was, um, it was, it's all, my role is all conservation shepherding in some sorts. Um, on Snowden, um, I was actually moving sheep away from the sensitive areas, areas which have been overgrazed. Yep. And it was having a negative effect. On the Great Orm, um, it's all, traditionally for hundreds of years, it's been a sheep farm, Great Orm. Uh, but what happened in 2001 was that there's, because of the foot and mouth disease, sheep numbers rapidly declined. 
and the Great Om lost, lost its hefted flock, its flock that lived here for many generations. Uh, and it was never really um, restocked to the right level. So, you know, within that 15-year period or so when was, the numbers was greatly reduced, um, basically what happened was that ranker grasses grew and it was choking the important plant species. And the great arm is very, very important in terms of uh, flora and fauna. We've got flowers that live here that live nowhere else on earth. So, right. and when the farm came on the market, um, they everybody thought it was going to be converted into a golf course. It'd make an amazing golf course. But obviously the National Trust stepped in because if it was made into a golf course, we'd lose um, all these important flowers and fauna and everything. <laughs> uh, but it also have a negative effect on the food chain going forward in terms of biodiversity and wildlife. So they stepped in, bought it, and for a change, um, they wanted a lot of sheep on the home. Uh, you know, in recent years, in in the, in the previous years, sheep have always had a, uh, you know, like a negative press. Red meat, especially, is bad for the environment. Uh, sheep are really, you know, overgrazers. They've been criticised for overgrazing, but here it was the com complete opposite, really. And um, you know, the Great Orm is like a, I think it's a moment in time. People can have a look that fifteen year period where there weren't enough ruminant grazers here and it had a negative effect on on the environment really so everyone can look at it and use it going forward hopefully uh to show that there is a real need for ruminant grazers in 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 the uk interesting that isn't it because i mean that the red meat thing frustrates me i can't remember oh yeah hattie hattie is doing hers on um it's not directly on carbon but it's relating to that yes. and uh, one of the things i had asked and I get quite defensive about this because yeah. I don't know, it just feels right. And no one's actually given me an answer against what I'm saying, even though it is the case. The current carbon calculators we have state that a dairy farm, a 360-day housed condensing of methane production unit dairy farm, this is not coming from someone against dairy at all, by the yeah. way, very much not, is better from a carbon perspective than a completely extensively run sheep farm with no synthetically transported water. How that's worse how the sheep farm is worse from a carbon perspective in my head blows my mind. Now, I know higher protein output, higher energy output from the yeah. dairy, but it, it doesn't no. feel right that we're pushing that as the better one. Exactly. You know, I, I work here, and then you can walk through, you know, springtime, I'm shepherding my sheep in loads of flowers and butterflies and nature all around me. And you've got people saying that we're, you know, ruining the environment. And uh, like, I just can't get my head around it. And that is what my Nuffield study is going to be on. I'm looking at the future of upland sheep farming um, and where we need to find the balance, really, between production, uh, nature conservation, and climate change or carbon sequestration. <laughs> um, carbon sequestration doesn't really excite me on a personal level, to be honest, not like the nature and the production side. Yeah. I think it's equally as important 
as the other two bits. So it's really important to um, have it all as one. It's a massive topic. Um, at the moment, it's quite daunting. Um, so going forward, I need to really narrow it down and see what we can do, really. I'm in the same place, not field-wise. <laughs> yeah. I, th I think a few yeah. people are, really. It's a better uh, place, though. I think that's a good place. Because yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. And a lot of people have said people may change their subjects going forward. You know, I may have to change mine because it's a very broad subject. Um, you know, but, for example, the sheep farming in Wales, you know, it's vitally important for local communities. Uh, it's vitally important for the Welsh language, for example. You know, a lot of people say that agriculture is the backbone of the Welsh language. Right. Uh, but but I'm going to try my best to keep away from that side, although it's very interesting. I want to c concentrate on nature conservation and climate change, really. And it all goes back to my farm on the Great Orm, where I want to be, you know, somebody asked me what I'm going to be doing in five years' time, ten years' time. The first thing I want to be is a sheep farmer. And yeah. I honestly think that um, sheep farmer has got a place in in society for nature conservation, but more importantly, uh, producing food as well. We will... Um... We will go into Nuffield in quite a bit of detail in a minute, Dan. I've got two okay. questions before we okay. do. Um, <clears throat> first off, uh, and this is more of a statement first, but the the sort of the two the two pillars we have at the minute of you know we've got farming is for production, and then yep. we've got carbon, and then the biodiversity mm -hmm. side. Yeah, I very much like you. I, I'm not not bothered by carbon at all. I find it interesting. I think we find ourselves walking into an extremely dangerous future with carbon credits and that sort of thing. Um, I think that is just a way for the rich to monetize farming to the point that farmers can't monetize it anymore. Um, I generally see it as quite a scary prospect, but that's where I think carbon's going. Biodiversity at the point, well, in my opinion, correct me if I'm wrong, is at a point where people are realizing it's important, but unlike carbon, it's very hard to quantify its importance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How important is that butterfly? How important is that, you know, daisy, whatever? Mm -hmm. um, and the only way I can see of quantifying that is from a sequestration perspective, or is there more to it than that? I think there's definitely more to it. But one of my massive obstacles is if I can, you know, travel the world, see different, um, uh, speak to different farmers, see how, how, how they're doing it, uh, but without actually having scientific research and scientific evidence, it's going to be really difficult to show people that it is actually working. On our farm, on my farm here in the Great Orm, we it's monitored. It's monitored every year, and um, you know we, we've got things like flower counts, butterfly numbers, and it's all moving in the right direction. Even after just seven years, which is a tiny little period of time, really where we're trying to restore the Great Orm to its form, former glory in a way in terms of biodiversity. It is definitely moving in the right direction. Um, it's moving so much so in the right direction. The National Trust have actually agreed to give it to me for an extra 10 years for a pound a year, which is fantastic news. Um, <clears throat> but from a personal challenge in my life, I want to leave the Great Orm in a much better nature status as when um, 
as when, as compared to when I arrived, really. So that's a massive challenge I've got. But back to your question, it is really difficult to quantify. And this is one of the massive challenges I have because the Great Orm is such an important place in terms of nature. I've got lots of different organisations involved. I've got not just the National Trust, I've got charities called Plant Life Cymru, Plant Life, uh, RSPB, I've got Natural Resources Wales, uh, we've got the um, Heritage, Welsh Heritage Society, all different organisations. And it's really difficult to get everybody to agree on what they want because everybody wants to see something different. Um, you know, the, we, we, we have to include um, people from RSPB who'd love to see the whole of the Great Orm, like a bowling green that short the grass on it. So they'd be ideal for, there's a bird here called the foraging chuff. Uh, it looks like a crow with a red beak and it requires the grass to be grazed really, really short. Uh, so, it's, can, uh, so it can thrive really. And since coming here, I have worked on different areas with them where I've grazed really heavily. And uh, actually, when I first came, we had six breeding pairs, and now we've got seven, which doesn't sound anything to me, but the RSVB guy was very excited when he counted seven pairs, which is really positive. But on the other side, the invertebrates guy, he doesn't want or this bowling green type yeah. of grass. He wants to see something different. So it is very difficult to get everybody to uh, agree. Uh, but we are managing it, sort of. But how can we quantify what what's good from in from a nature perspective is the biggest challenge, I think. Um, for me, it's all about what I can see. You know, if I can see pretty pretty yellow flowers in the spring and pretty pink flowers, whatever, it's really cool. But from the invertebrates guy, he he wants something else. So. What you said is really interesting, and that is the doesn't scare me, but the, one of the biggest challenges I've got about my nut field going forward, I think. Just a just a shout, or maybe a, an idea for you to look up. Um, yep. Have you heard of the Helen Mountain Research Centre in Northern Ireland? No, I haven't actually. So, I mean, I know nut field makes you think you want to go for forever, but there's loads of places in the UK as well. Yeah, we yeah of course. We took students there two years ago and it's essentially like the SRUC equivalent in Northern Ireland, Caffrey right. um, and I think SRUC has won at Kirkton as well, it's great but I was really impressed by Caffrey's quantification of carbon, water capture, biodiversity, all that sort of stuff oh, um, okay. might be worth I'm not saying you're going to go there, it might be worth a chat um, Definitely. just probably help quite hugely and I'm sure they'd like a contact with Great Orm as well so it could be quite worthwhile yeah. um, But in terms yeah. of carbon I think I think if we can all work to the same carbon calculator going forward, and then we can actually put a value of how much carbon we're sequestering per kilo of meat, or I don't know if it'd be better to measure it in terms of grams of protein, I'm not, I'm not sure, or calories, I'm not sure. Um, I think it's easier to compare at the moment than biodiversity. 100%. And I'll only mention one more thing about carbon. But first off, I don't think we are 
I think we're decades away from that carbon calculator we all agree on. I think we're decades away from, and maybe people disagree with me on this, happy to happy to be proven wrong and hope to be proven wrong. I don't think it's holistic enough. I think they focus too much on certain things. And also, like you're saying there, is it calories, is it protein? We, we sort of start condensing production into one thing, if that's the case. So if it's energy yeah. or calories, well, that's the same thing. We're pushing towards that. But that then takes away the fact that, for example, your <clears throat> um, Holstein's producing a lot of energy in that there's a chunk of milk going there. There's a lot of milk. But your jersey's producing uh quote unquote higher quality produce yeah. but less energy. So that's then making it worse. It's really it's a I think there's got to be a case by case carbon calculator. And I think that's quite far away. Um but that's Maybe. an opinion thing. I could be entirely wrong. It could be entirely yeah, I, think, I think that's one criticism I've got of the Welsh government going uh in the past is that you know they treat every single farm exactly the same. They and then every because every farm is different in some way, so you can't really compare them. So, you know, with it's there's always going to be winners and losers on systems like that, and it's not unfairly as well. I think so. It's a it's a very it's a bit of a minefield topic going forward. I think, but you it's, might like, we're quite a way away from you know where we want to be. I think I'm generally not a pessimist. I'm like I'm, I'm probably the opposite, but on this one, I struggle. To see yeah. it being, being something I see in my, I shall we say, early yeah. career. Um, but anyway, that that's a different thing. You mentioned um, early the interview, Dan was was very much based on what your vision was. You know what your vision, <clears throat> what your vision was for Great Orm. You've yeah. now just, and first off, congratulations, said that you've got ten more years of the same yeah. tenancy, which is is nice to hear and sort of allows you to not be working on a three-year period now but working on a 13-year period which is nice yeah. um, your vision seven years ago was talking about 10 years ago are you sorry your vision seven years ago was talking about in 10 years three years from now are you on a par to reach that vision you've said you're quite happy with where you're going well to be honest um <laughs> We had goals, but they weren't specific set goals. We yep. need, we had no idea in terms of nature conservation by uh, biodiversity how how quickly it was going to improve. Um, happily, I'm really happy to say that that it's actually improving quicker than everybody thought. Yep. Whether we've had good weather, for example, that's helped us. We don't know going forward, but we won't know. And then I remember somebody. Um, telling me, how, uh, I I asked how I asked this question. You know, how long should it take for us to get back to where we were? Well, and he, I remember him saying, "Just um, just think, if you planted trees now, how long would would it take to become a forest?" And that's what we're working on. Um, but I can't see it taking that long because it's already a lot better. Um, which is really positive. But one of the main things that I wanted to involve in my plan going forward was actually engagement with the public um, because there's a huge, obviously, you know better than I do, there's a huge disconnect between farming and the general public. And because we've got over 600,000 visitors a year here, it was a huge opportunity for us Um to do that engagement and show people what we do, why we do it and how we do it. Um, 
and farming amongst 600,000 people hasn't been the easiest, to say the least. Um, <laughs> uh, so it's been quite challenging, but it has been very rewarding. Um, I introduced, a, you know, 416 hefted sheep back onto the arm. Um, and it's an amazing place to walk your dog, for example. And I had lots of issues with dogs off leads, dog attacks. So that's just one thing that we've really worked on. Um, for example, in 2017, I had uh, 12 separate incidents where a sheep lost its life because result of a dog attack. Um, but this year, we're down to three. We've lost three uh, three sheep to dog attacks, um, and it is has improved, you know. And it's just getting the message out there, really. Whether it's been um, social media posts, actually physical signs on the Great Arm, you know, explaining get your dogs on leads. Uh, I worked, I've worked with local groups, local dog walking groups. Um, and it, I think it's really worked, really, which is really, really positive. And, you know, locals now, um, if they see somebody uh, with their dog off the lead, they just, you know, they talk to them quietly and calmly most of the time, just saying, be respectful, which is really positive, really, because people want to help, I think, in general. Everybody wants to try and help. Uh, and people are responsible, so um, yeah, and I find that really, really rewarding. As you do, obviously, you talk to lots of people. Yeah, uh, like that's. I mean, the fact that the public are receptive to it, and even more than being receptive to it, also willing to try and challenge those not being receptive to it. Yeah, exactly. There, yeah. So positive. Yeah, yeah um, that's really cool. I mean, I, I filmed with I don't know if you know Chris Woodstead and Zoe Colville. Um, they go by Chief Shepherdess and Super Serious Farmer on Instagram. Um, both quite big social media accounts. And the day I filmed with them in the two weeks prior, we'd actually delayed filming because they'd had something like four dog attacks in almost the same amount of days. Oh, yeah. um, and it was... <laughs> I mean, I think I said, you know, earlier, um, not, not to you, just uh, filming with someone else, that... I wouldn't say anger is a, a, an emotion that comes naturally to me. I'm not really someone yeah. <laughs> that has that emotion. It's got me bothered. But that whole concept of dog worrying and you literally just need to have your dog on a lead. You know? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not just. There's a wee bit more. But, you yeah. know, that's that's the first very easy step. Like, why can't you do that? Why yeah. is that so difficult that you're then going to lead to first off and most importantly an animal being injured or killed and yeah. then secondly you know the loss of loss of financial gain for that owner as well it's just it infuriates me and i'm glad um, it's really nice to hear actually it's a really positive story yeah it's because it's, it's one of the i don't know most demoralizing things i've been involved in really um you know there, there are no winners in in the dog attack absolutely nobody and um you know and these they're, they're all different dogs from all different backgrounds, and you know, you just we just need to get the message out there. But people are trying, and and it has improved a lot here. Yeah, and and I think the oh, mine wouldn't is the most well infuriating opinion. Yeah, it could, and you know, for example, I had one 
family that came here for a lovely afternoon. They had a barbecue. They let their dog off the lead and it went for a wonder. It killed, I don't know, it killed two ewes and two lambs that day. And they had no idea. And it was, they let me use Polly, the dog was called. She was a lovely little dog. And they let me use Polly as an example. She had, she was like eight years old, family pets, and they had no idea she was capable of it. And um, absolutely any dog can do some damage. So just getting the message out, but we need, you know, I work with a rural, rural crime team who the police always say that the problem is increasing all the time. So it's something we need to keep on top of, I think. Fair play to those owners, you know, did wrong, but to use use their dogs. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah fair. You know, good, genuine people. <laughs> and they honestly had no idea. Um, so, yeah. But, yeah. It's, you were asked your vision seven years yeah. ago. What's your vision for 13 years from now? Now, I think you, you said something really good, Dan, where you said we never had set goals. I've, I've never been a specific goal fan. Yeah. I just like the idea of my goal is to be progressive, to progress, see where we're going, go in the right yeah. direction. I don't really care if I hit an objective thing. Um, so I, I get that totally. What What's the vision for 2026? Well, to be honest, I, I was going to answer. I'm not allowed to answer this. I was going to say I'm going to be really boring and just say exactly what you said. Okay. Just want to progress. <laughs> uh, but I'd love, I'd love to get um, just little things like, um, as I said earlier, the numbers of certain bird types to increase. And I'd love to, you know, have record numbers of different, you know, we've got a silver studded blue, which is, it's a subspecies that only lives here on the Orm. Um so if I could get the numbers of them up and just restore to it to the numbers that there were recorded in the 80s, that'd be an amazing thing, I think. Yeah. Oh, that is gorgeous. I've just looked it up. Yeah. Oh, it's an amazing... Yeah, the oh. silver studded blue it is, yeah. Yeah. And a, and a fact, what... This is a really good example because their primary food source is a, is a flower called the rock rose, the hoary rock rose and common rock rose, which is a tiny little yellow flower. It's quite a common flower, but what's important is that that also requires grass to be grazed quite short by sheep. So it's a fantastic example to give where sheep can graze to get the flowers, to get the silver studded blue, which is, um, you know, going forward, that's a great example to give people how sheep are not bad for their environment and they're not all grazing. I'm going to give myself a, a self-pop quiz here. So intensive grazing sheep takes it lower to the point that is going to encourage a silver-studded blue and was the other one a uh, foraging chuff? Is that what like that? That's the one, yeah, foraging chuff, yeah. Look at this, this is awesome. great. Um, do you know, it's, it, this isn't, I probably don't have enough of this on the podcast. <clears throat> um I think that the biodiversity thing, and you know, you probably made the point as to why it's maybe not the most common thing for a sheep farmer to talk about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, I mean, it's not like I'm, I'm, I'm uh, in any way uh, racist, isn't the word? Um, what's the word? Basically, like not taking a certain demographic on the podcast to have everyone, but uh, mm. it's, it's, it's not something we've came across much. But I brought you on originally, Dan, to to speak Nuffield. You've mentioned it a few times. 
Um, tell us, you've, you sort of alluded to what your plan for Nuffield is, um, but tell us, I always think it's quite interesting, I've asked everyone this, <clears throat> why Nuffield? Why did you go for Nuffield? What, what was the process like uh, right. in the topic itself? Right. I grew up on Anglesey, and um, <laughs> some people say I, I suffer from something called the middle child syndrome, where I always want to be different. Okay. okay. I always want to stand out. And I like, and I've also always been attracted to people who stand out, I think. And then there was a farmer in our village. He farmed completely different to everybody else. I don't think he was a big fan of shearing sheep. So he invented his own sheep breed. That was, uh, it's called the Easy Care Sheep. Oh, right. Okay. Wow. He he actually invented the Easy Care Sheep. He was crossing Welsh breeds and a Wiltshire horn to develop this breed. And then I remember talking to him and every time I spoke to him, he was fascinating, interesting. He had amazing stories. And then one day I, I asked him, oh, where did he learn this? And he was actually a Nuffield scholar in the 70s, 1970s. Right. And he was a really interesting person. And then throughout my life and career, really, I've met a few people on the way. And uh, they've all, and I thought, oh, he's a nice guy to talk to, interesting, out-of-the-box thinker. Oh, he's a Nuffield scholar. There was a two or three of them on the way, really. So that's where my Nuffield journey began, I think. And I've always been interested in Nuffield. But because my main priority in life was uh, to have my own farm and being you know, more or less a first-generation farmer, I had to prioritize that really and really concentrate on that. So that is why um, I'm, I'm one of the later or older Nuffield scholars, I'd say. Basically, it was now or never. Um, but to the, to the hour by the, <laughs> the age. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, but more than that, you know, I love talking to people. I, I, I love, you know, meeting enthusiastic people. They don't have to be sheep farmers that like flowers. It helps, uh, doesn't it? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I enjoy learning. And I, you know, one thing that I also do is, uh, I like to challenge myself in life. You know, I'm not a natural, I don't think I'm a natural speaker in front of people. I'm not a natural writer in front, you know, I'm not not very good at writing, but I've always taken every single opportunity in life. And I think the Nuffield is such a massive opportunity to do cool stuff with your life, meet cool people. I don't think that it was something I really wanted to do. Um and I actually applied for it last year, got through to the interview stage, and I didn't get any further than the interview stage. So that was a real setback for me in my life because I thought Nuffield was going to be, you know, I see my life in building blocks, really, and I thought it was the next stage. And when I got the letter saying, uh, you know, you've been unsuccessful, I was, I was gutted, I really was. Um, but it made me go away, work harder, and try my best this time, really. So I, I, was I wouldn't, I wouldn't take it. Offense isn't the word, but I wouldn't take it negatively. I mean, you're, you're already not the only person I've filmed with out of this year's cohort so far. That that's the case. All um, right. Yeah, uh, you can go and listen to find out which one. No, uh, it's just not my my place to say. But it's absolutely not a problem at all. And I spoke to many scholars over the course of the week where that was the case. Yeah. Um, 
and like you say, it's probably a case of comeback stronger or comeback maybe more more determined, maybe. More uh, determined, yeah. be a bigger, you know, just bigger, better version of yourself. And I think I wanted it so badly that first year. That the first year I wanted it so badly. I just didn't win. I went in there and I'm not sure what happened to me really. It just unraveled really, really quickly. Yeah. Um, because I don't know what your interview was like, because it was quite challenging this year, but I really enjoyed it. Um but yeah, I'm here well, now. On on the interview side, is <laughs> basically with Nuffield, I, I don't know how long you have or haven't followed me, Dan, but from the last year I've basically told the world I'm doing it. Yeah. So yeah keep yeah. things quiet. I quite like to just share the journey. Yeah, yeah. And there's 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 fears with that, you know. There's open yourself up to if Definitely. it goes wrong. But in my head, the worst that can happen is I didn't get it, and I was happy for that. So I shared the whole story, and um, I openly said, once I get through the application, I am not worried about the next stage. I'm not saying I'll get it. Yeah, I just know that's where I'm okay because I, I somewhat psychopathically absolutely love that environment. <laughs> Like, I mean, I, I said to Wynne, I was like, I'm going to guess you've had quite a lot of people in that interview panel uh, go through it, whatever, and I'm going to guess just about no one said what I'm about to say to you. I was never more comfortable than sat in that chair. And I genuinely mean it. I just, I enjoy that environment. I thrive on it. And then I go out and there's no one to sort of challenge you and I'm almost bored. Like, so I really enjoyed it. So that was my experience of the of the, of the interview, but um. I heard a couple of folks say they didn't they didn't dislike it, they just didn't probably like it as much as I did. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it this year, but I knew I'd given it my best shot this year. And um you know, when I got out of the interview, some you know, as I walked out, um somebody said, Oh, well done. That was really good. Um so yeah, I, I knew I'd done a lot better this year. I didn't know if I had done well enough, obviously. Uh, but I just, you know, I just showed myself a lot better this year. Maybe because I'm not a not, I'm quite a shy person. I consider myself quite a shy person, and the fact that I wanted it so badly, I just, I don't know, I just didn't perform really. I think that's quite a good point, actually. Maybe, maybe on top of that, one of the reasons that I felt quite comfortable walking out was, and I openly put this on social media as well, was I walked out of there thinking, success or failure. Um my shoulders are high for now like I, didn't, I couldn't have done better today um so yeah i think i, I get that as well um t- tell us about about your plans for nuffield then dan you sort of talked about the topic but also gives a wee bit about where do you plan on going and that yeah. sort of thing well um my topic is basically my life so it's uh <laughs> sheep farming <laughs> sheep farming flowers now sheep farming um and looking at the production side Nature conservation and climate change, as we've I've already touched on, really, and how the three can work together successfully going forward, or hopefully, I hope you know I want to go in with an open mind. It, my mind isn't made up, you know, whether it's um, whether it's the right thing to do or not. I honestly believe it is, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy. And enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2Cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, The Scottish Farmer. And I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week 
and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. And then countries that I want to visit are um, Switzerland and France initially, the USA, and the most the one that I'm most excited about is uh, uh, Chile and, and Argentina, uh, yeah. Patagonia. Um, and the reason I want to go there is um, they've had lots of sheep there and lots of overgrazing. And they've actually, um, their studies been made there. They've Farmers were actually paid to take sheep away. But once those sheep uh, were taken away, within 10 years, the biodiversity carried on decreasing. And it was, it was having an even worse ne negative effect on nature around them. So they have actually reintroduced sheep at certain levels in different areas. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see how they've done that and how the various organisations involved have worked with the farmers and how they've managed it uh, and how that has affected the biodiversity and the nature side. So that obviously I'm really excited to go there. Um, I was thinking of learning Spanish but after being looking at the Nuffield itinerary next week, uh, last week, I think I've got enough on my plate already. So I'll have to wing it and side language. Uh, and then USA might not be a um, usual or typical place to go in terms of sheep farming, but there are some amazing sheep farmers or ranchers out there. And they've worked closely with um, an experimental station in Montana. Right. where lots of farmers have actually worked on biodiversity and they're using it as added value on their produce. And there are, some farmers are actually selling um, lamb, which has actually sequestered more carbon than they've emitted, obviously, which they, they say they sell it to, in their words, to carbon-conscious consumers. So that, that's really interesting. Um the, the places I want to visit aren't set in stone, obviously. I've spoken to loads of people last week, and uh, somebody told me about an amazing uh, sheep farm in Japan that he had visited, which sounded fantastic. Uh, it had nothing to do with nature conservation or climate change, but it was just it sounded like an amazing place. So, uh, But, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, there's lots of places to see. And I also want to take the Nuffield to be, um, you know, make the most of the opportunity, really. And I don't want to go down the same path as previous scholars. You know, people automatically ask me, oh, are you going to New Zealand? Are you going to Australia? There's lots of work done there. But I don't want to do something that's already been done. I want to make the most of it, as I said, but find new stuff and find new alternatives of how we can go forward. That there was number one when I looked at my application. New Zealand was not on the list. It's now on the list because someone offered me the ability to go to a university in New Zealand, and it's it's probably down the list, but it's certainly there. But New Zealand, Australia, and the States, originally I was like, I'm going ever. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Do whatever I want. Like, um, yeah. So no, I, I was exactly exact same. I'm going to delve right into the proper tiny little filing cabinets in my brain here because I seem to remember my dad watching a video a film about that Patagonia thing. Oh yeah. Sheep so, breed to use out there Corridale. Corridale, yeah, Corridale. Oh, I don't yeah. know where that one's came from. I really, really don't know where that's came from. Um 
No, that's that's I do when you mentioned it, it didn't spring to mind, and then as you spoke about it, I have heard of that. Yeah. Uh, the oh, I was going to say something about Chile. Yeah, I've got a feeling your answer to this is going to be a frustrating answer given the time of our CSC. I'm going to guess you're not going to be able to go from Brazil to Argentina and Chile, are you? No, I'm not actually. Oh, that's frustrating. Isn't it? It's I'm already delaying lambing already. Yeah cause of it so I'll be coming straight back for lambing but I am going to stay on and try and do one of the um post tours yeah because it looks such an amazing opportunity really and you know it's something that I'll never get the chance to do again probably yeah most of it so I think I'm not going to manage I did look at them um yeah we were supposed to answer today haven't we I have answered but I'm still debating changing it but we'll see we'll see but uh, uh, I was actually asked in my interview why why would I, why would I want to go to Patagonia or Chile and and Argentina when there were you know I don't know so many I can't remember what the the interviewer said there's so many millions and now they're down to you know like a, a tiny little share of that uh, but the the thing is um, they've already experienced similar problems that we've having. And I think they're further along. They've had the the problems before us, where they over they had significant overgrazing years and years ago, and the sheep have been taken away. And they they've encountered problems after taking sheep away, and they've resolved them after that as well. So that's my reason for going there. Also, I sort of really wanted to. So, and I don't know how much I said to you when we spoke, Dan, but I was in Africa in August. And I sort yeah. of fell in love with the two countries I was in, and I kind of wanted to add a couple more. And the two I looked at was Ethiopia and Kenya. Ethiopia and Kenya. And uh, a few folks said, why do you want to go there? Agricultural education isn't renowned or anything like that. And I was like, well, you can learn from non-perfection. You know, not, not everything has to be perfect. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. You know, learning from people's mistakes is one yeah. of the, the best ways to learn, I think, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think we're so focused. And I think that's probably a... a, a a trait of folk that are progressive, which I think it would be fair to assume Nuffield scholars are, uh, is chasing perfection when an actual kind of like we were talking about with that sort of what your objective would be. It doesn't really have to be a, a specific thing. It's it's just looking forward is, you know, there's so much more things to learn from, so much more, you know, places you can learn. But uh, no, your, your travels sound brilliant. Um, yeah. Sounds really good. Uh, I look forward to once you get good at video editing, seeing what you are on the way. But you know, for, from a, per, I don't know if you feel the same. You probably do. From a personal and uh, selfish point of view, it's an amazing opportunity to develop yeah. as a person. I think, and the opportunities it's going to bring is really, really exciting. And I really liked that they promoted that. So, like, I don't know if you know Neil McGowan. Um, yep. Yeah, you do. Uh, Neil was well, sort of. I, I don't know him. I know he's a very forward-thinking sheep breeder from Scotland. Yes, that's the one. And you probably saw the photos of him everywhere. Yeah. I am Nuffield. Um, yeah. Neil was basically the guy. I'd known him before, Nuffield, but he was the guy that was, you probably had one as well. They phoned you before and they gave you some tips and whatnot. He was he was mine, so he was very helpful. Um, but what he said when he originally phoned me was, tell me about your application. I told him. And he said, you've talked about benefiting students, you've talked about benefiting the sector, you've talked about coming back and benefiting your university and others in the country. Yeah. Who have you not considered? And I was like, oh, shit, I thought I'd thought of everyone. I don't know who have I not considered. And he was like, you. And I was like, why me? Like, I'm trying to look at this. And he's like, no, yeah. no, no. If you don't care, 
no one's getting the benefit. And I was like, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and then I got quite selfish and I was like, well, yes, I do want to go to Japan. Yeah, both, I do want to go to Singapore. <laughs> but I, like you, I did, I think we went through this in the interview, why I wanted it. And I said, just like I said, you know, I think it's quite a selfish thing to say, but this is one of the main reasons I want to do it. Uh, but that, you know, you could tell by the expressions on their face that that was a good thing. Because I was a bit, I wasn't sure how they would have taken that, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, it's worked out well. No, well, that's it. It has. It has. No, Dan, it's been a pleasure. Really yes, has been. Glad pleasure to chat um time sort of flies by it's been well over an hour there just sort of disappeared uh, however before we finish there's two questions that every guest is subject to on my podcast and technically you've been asked one of them but i'm gonna ask okay. you um one where do you see yourself in five years and two if you had any advice i guess for folk coming into farming what would they be or what would it be Ooh, right advice for farming um Find find your passion, obviously. My advice would be find your passion and then because you're going to have to work very, very hard at it. And, but like me, if you look forward to getting up in the morning to go shepherding or whatever, it's it's not it's not work really, it's just your life. And then if you make it your life, then you know it's all worthwhile, I think. But um find your passion, concentrate on that. Do something you enjoy is the main thing, I think. Uh, the other question, where do I see myself in five years? <laughs> um, <laughs> right. The, what, you know, what one of the things that I always say is I want to be a sheep farmer. That's what I love. You know, I love sheep farming. I love working my dogs. I love working my sheep. So I, that's the boring answer. Okay, that's the boring answer. <laughs> I want I want to be a sheep farmer. But I always want more. I'm never satisfied. And um, I'd love, I've done quite a bit of television work in terms of uh, being a contributor on various shows, but I'd love to be, I don't know, a presenter or a reporter. Um, embarrassingly, I see myself as a cross between, I'd like to see myself as a cross between um, Louis Theroux uh, and who was the other one I can um I'm not sure who the other one is. Louis through for the Louis through of the agricultural world would do me fine, I think. Are you not gonna compare yourself to same nationality, same profession, Mr. Gareth Wynne Jones? Same surname? Um no, I don't think so. I'm I'm a different person to Gareth Wynne Jones. <laughs> uh I'm more of a do you know who Guy Martin is? Yes, yeah, yeah. Louis, Louis through cross Guy Martin type of yeah. character. That's who I'd like to be. In five. That's very accurate. <laughs> That's very accurate. Genuinely is. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So there we go. So, but the, obviously, if I can still be sheep farming and, you know, if I'd shown, if I've been able to show the world that I'm not trying to kill them or, you know, and, yeah. but, you know, if we can show people that not all meat is created equally. And for people to make the right choices, we'll be okay. Brilliant. No, you, you do sort of, you mentioned sort of finding your passion. It's so true. Yeah. You know, everything's fun if you're passionate about it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I I'm generally yeah. And push yourself. Yeah. yeah, completely, completely. No, great. Well, 
Dan, listen, it was a pleasure to meet you over the week. Yeah. Uh, it's been great to chat and uh, appreciate your time. First off, we've went went for a while there. Hope you've had a good time. Yeah, superb. It's gone. It's been good actually. Yeah, good, mate. Good. And I'm sure I'm sure this will appear in the WhatsApp group chat in the, the next few weeks um with someone watching it in the car. Um so that everyone has been Dan Jones, the man behind the one pound tenancy at Great Orm, which is so much more than that headline. Um, so much more as he's just proven there today. The last episode we had was with Natalie, who is another uh, of our Nuffield cohort, looking at diversification with a particular focus on to producing a product. The next episode will be in uh, neurodiversity in farming, which I'm really looking forward to uh, at the point of recording. I have not filmed it. We filmed it in a couple of days, two or three days um, with Liz Haynes. Now, I said at the start, neurodiversity is one of the best words I think that's been created in recent times. And I, I stand by that. I think it's a fantastic term. I think it, it, it offers so much more reality to the case as opposed to the word disability. So very much look forward to that chat with Liz. Um, uh, for the next episode and the episodes coming up we've got quite a few all-in series we've got quite a few Nuffield scholars we've got a lot coming up in the run-up to Christmas I'll probably not release two episodes around Christmas time um, just because who wants to listen to my voice <laughs> at that time of year so uh, yeah we'll, we'll maybe have a bit of a break sort of that last week of the year uh, but hope you're enjoying the R2 cast in general, get in touch if you get anyone you want to come on and Dan thank you very much for your time no worries and a pleasure, we'll see you all for episode number 158 with Liz Haynes I hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R2 cast as much as I have and I would just like to quickly thank our primary sponsors of the show today, Howden Rural the new name for Aplan Rural if you follow Howden Rural on social media, you'll see the plethora of work that they do to support this sector, and it's been a pleasure to work alongside them so far, and long may it continue. For more information about them, be sure to check out howdeninsurance.co.uk forward slash rural, and I'll see you for the next episode.